Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Twins separated at birth Cause that little girl wasn't ready for this earth So the first person I knew left when I drew my first breath And came back a year later as my sister mum said Once the carousel's revolving, no stopping or disembarking Spent a lifetime with the mysteries of Mr Margins Left home for it, decades on a pilgrimage A ghost author writing essays in the wilderness I don't converse with the Holy Ghost often Only in times of blind panic where my atheism is left behind Stranded, what else? I hope you're all comfy, people are so hungry I wonder what that says about my country And where I come from Food banks, bankers crash Try to be a good man is a thankless task Good people carry the weight of the world Until their ankles snap Financial cats, futures are guaranteed Like a banker's draft I was born clumsy A crumpler I take words and rearrange them When I find them jumbled up You work on the outskirts of nowhere Just beyond it Nothing existed in the void Until I drew it If I'm honest A hyperactive kid Restless and unsettled Mouth tasting a metal Building walls out of Lego My father was a rebel So I became an echo He said you got to cut the strings On your own arms to meet your petal Mind the gap when the lighting from this place Mind the gap when the lighting from this place Mind the gap when the lighting from this place Mind the gap when the lighting from this place When I get agitated words are my rattling if life's a jotter then I'm living in the margins that I scribble in But sometimes when you're on the outside looking in You get a better view of how the world spins Dystopia It's a word that's overused But that doesn't mean its meaning doesn't hold the truth The loneliest muse I've been beholden to you Since the fallopian tubes My colloquial roots challenge colonial views Reported as news Celebrity sweat patches interrupt me while I'm trying to think I close my eyes, cover my ears and dial dial a drink Spying search engines, trying to tell me not to think this I spend my evenings trading riddles with the sphinxes And my days languishing and listless That's just how it is when language is your mistress I've got no problem with authority I represent outsiders and we're holding the majority, man Fuck your in-crowds, little cliques and cozy-ups Your number days get shorter the longer you're ignoring us I channel hate, love, fear, hope and lust Into broken words that fill, spill and overflow From lips like blood from open cuts Mr. Margins, life on the periphery Blend into a crowd, step on stage and then pontificate I was born with every Venn diagram intersected And spent a lifetime on edge and on the edges Mind the gap when the lighting from this place Mind the gap when the lighting from this place Mind the gap when the lighting from this place Mind the gap when the lighting from this place
welcome to Podcart and welcome to another special edition and today's guest is Dave Hook aka Solar Eye. Hello. Hi there, how are you doing? I'm good, how are you? Yeah, not too bad. Good, good. Um, so we've not, when was the last time that we kind of had a chat with one another? I think the last time we did a, a podcast thing was before Reject, Standing on Reject, so I reckon 2012. Christ. Yes. <laughs> It's been a yeah. while. <laughs> it has been a Lots while. to catch up on. Oh my God. <laughs> so you, um, you've got an, you've written an album. Yes. And is, it, is this the first one under Solar Eye? Yeah, it's the first time I've ever released an album under Solar Eye. Um, I've done some other bits and pieces, did a wee EP in 2012 and stuff, but I've never got around to releasing a Solar Eye record before. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, the album's called All These People Are Me. Um, and you have, it, I've said this to you before I started recording the podcast, but for me it's the best work that you've done. Um, and that's not because I, you know, didn't like anything that you've done previously. There just seems to be this real confidence about this album that I've maybe, I've, I've heard a confidence before, but this is really you. It feels really kind of authentic for you. Um, I don't know if that's fair to say. Yeah, well, it's very nice to hear because <laughs> <laughs> um, it's been done. It's felt like it's been in a vacuum for a while um, when we've been working on it. Um, yeah, I, I think certainly that's what we were trying to do with the record. Um, the music, all the music on the record was made by Samson, the drummer from Stanley Odd and Harvey Cartel. Um, so it's been a really nice experience in terms of like trying to match words to music. And we spent longer on it than I've ever spent on a record. I think we spent about two and a half years on it. Um, and and there's about, I think there's probably only three songs out of 14 that have still got the original music that we first, that first came with the words. So mm -hmm. we've gone, they've gone through new incarnations yeah. until we've ended up with something that works, I think. Yeah. Um, and the sort of concept of the record about, about like, is, is about contradictions a lot and, and in continuities and then the music is maybe the continuity that all ties it all together. All together. So the contradictions thing I'm going to come on to later, um, I'll get you warmed up first yeah. um, before we, we get onto the serious chat. So yeah. I asked you to pick six songs which is a mean feat and um, you've you've picked some absolute belters. Um, there's one that I I've got a question mark over, but again, <laughs> we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, so, Michael Jackson, Smooth Criminal. Yeah. This song makes me laugh because, uh, do you remember the Sega, um, is it Master, Mega Drive maybe, the Moonwalker game? Uh, very vaguely, I right. do, yeah, yeah. So, and my brother used to um, do all the moves and <laughs> sing and he, um, you know, the high-pitched yeah, singing yeah. and everything. So I know that that probably won't be funny for anyone apart from me and the mental images yeah, I yeah. have, but um, Smooth Criminal. Oh, well, it's funny you should say that though, because I think there were like, there was one kid in every class when that record came out, I was in primary school, there was one kid in every class that could do all the moves and was the coolest kid in the school for 10 minutes because of it.
Yeah, I mean, I put it in there. It's fun. I, was, I know we were saying this before this before we started, but it was really hard to pick these like six songs, and I've kind of tried to pick songs that I've got a story or a reason rather than they're not necessarily my favourite songs, yeah. but they've got something to talk about. So Michael Jackson Bad was the first record I ever bought. So um, it was, I, I bought it on vinyl from W. H. Smith and Airdrie Main Street. And I was dead excited about buying my first record, uh, and and that's what it was. Um, and uh, actually, Smooth Criminal had a had a a, a a damaged groove, so it kept sticking. Yeah. On that, I remember it kept sticking, and I, my dad had said, um, "Do you want us to take it back to the shop?" And I was like, "No, I think it'll be okay." And then a couple of weeks later, I was like, "It's still sticking. Can we take it back?" And he was like, "No, it's too late now." <laughs> So I was stuck with it, but uh, that and at the time I used to listen to music on his record player, and he had one speaker. I mean, the configuration was atrocious. He had one speaker up on a shelf and one underneath a desk on the floor. So I would lie on the floor and listen to it, and <laughs> and listen to like his vinyl collection, and then listen to this. And Smooth Criminal really stuck out because the stories really, well, it's a storytelling song, mm-hmm. and you're never it's, it, it's not quite clear exactly what's happening in it, but it builds tension all the way throughout. Um, so, like as a kid, when you're trying to figure out what's going on in in the stories and the songs, then it really kind of sort of captured my attention. And you've said in a few interviews that that stories are, you know, you love stories, you love storytelling within the music you listen to. Um, you know, especially in hip hop, you love that storytelling element. Um, and and now as a father, um, do you really kind of inject that into your children's lives as well? Um, I, yeah, I mean, you're right, I do I do love stories and song, and I almost picked six songs with stories in them and then didn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's interesting being a dad now, like I love telling the kids stories, I, I love reading stories, I love them making up stories to me, I love trying to make stories up and, and keep their interest. Um, and it's interesting for me as well to see the, what they're starting to find interesting to listen to musically. Mm-hmm. Um, so b- both of them like a Proclaimers song called um, um, Walking By, which was in the a Proclaimers, the, like the musical for the Proclaimers, yeah. I think. But they, bo- they both ask for that, although the older ones had enough of that one now. Um, m- my older boy loves Aesop Rock, and a tune that, yeah. another tune that we've talked about, um, which is bizarre because Aesop Rock can be really difficult and complex to get into, but he likes that one, it's got a cool video. Um, and recently, um, I've done a little bit of work with an organisation called Vox Liminus that go into prisons and yeah. do prison writing workshops, which is amazing and, and really, I'm really enjoying the, the work that I've been involved in with them. Um, and one song that was written in Castle Huntley, um, um, that was written, the, the guy that wrote it, wrote it for his two kids and I was working on the mix of it and Callum just kept coming in and wanting me to play it over and over again and was going, he, he, I wrote it down what he said, he was like, that man has a beautiful voice. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I thought that was cool. Yeah, and, and so the, the work within the prisons, um, when did you start that? Um, I, I've only done a, a, a couple of sessions with the guys really, but as, as it's... Um, Louis from Admiral Fowler that got me into doing yeah. it and he works with Vox um, uh, he's sort of the um, the director I guess of that Distant Voices project yeah. um, and he's got a great bunch of people going in and doing stuff 
uh, and I've been in and done something with them at um, Pullman and then up at Castle Huntley and I've, I've been in to, to visit someone in uh, Kilmarnock Prison as well and just work on some individual bits and pieces. Did you go in with a completely open mind or did you have any stereotypes that you thought, oh my God, I am shitting myself? Um, I've got quite a lot previous experience of working on community projects and with young people and in various things. So to a certain degree, I, I was kind of comfortable in that I knew what I was going to do. But I think any situation that you've not been in before, um, then you're, there's obviously anxiety about how it's going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and probably you're, you're focused on making sure that at the beginning you just come across in the right way, that you get people interested and excited about wanting to do stuff. So in, in that way, that's the same probably for lots of other What's the, um What was the most memorable thing that came out of that? Obviously, apart from, you know, making the music. Um, I mean... I mean a lot. I get so much out of it as a writer mm-hmm. um, through just having the time. If you're doing three day full sessions, having the time to actually look at how other people write, um, and I, I find that in this, exactly the same as in like the songwriting festivals that like Finlay Napier does and stuff like that, um, and any other project where you're working with other writers as well then I'm getting so much of just when I'm not doing something and listening to what they're talking about and hearing yeah. about how they write and yeah. then looking at how everybody individually sits down and comes up with stuff. I think like you always end up taking away things that you're like, well, I'm going to use that myself as a way of writing or as a different way of thinking about things. Moving on to your next song. Um, so this this was a bit of a... <laughs> this stood out for me. Uh, so John Mayle. Yeah, I mean... I've been hugely influenced by my dad's love of music and taste in music and uh, so like that, like a lot of the records that I was listening to before I bought my first Michael Jackson record was um, blues and um, sort of late 60s and early 70s records and folk music. I liked Fairport Convention, um, I, I loved John Mayo. Um, I liked Cream and, and all these sorts of records um, and he introduced me to Zappa as well which kind of took, took me in a whole different direction um, and he play, I remember him playing me this record when I, when I was like about seven or eight and listening to that song and thinking I'm going to learn to play that one day so I wanted I, that it just really caught me um, and I did learn to play it I, I don't play it particularly well but I managed to bash it out <laughs> Thank you. 
must have kind of stuck with me because Marsha's mood, I ended up calling a poem that, that is in the Noiriki anthology. Right. But then it got misprinted, so in there it's called Marsha's mood, and I, I, didn't, I didn't read it properly when they sent me the proofs. Uh, and then that poem ended up becoming a song on All These People Are Me called um, Summer Sun Buzz. So yeah. it's kind of, I feel like, and even though it has no musical relevance to the original piece, it's sort of come all it's, the way through. Yeah, threaded through. The the album, you we we were just saying during the break that um, you you said that you had a lot of fear and anxiety uh, in, in making <laughs> that. Um, we'll just call it out now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, what? Why? What? Where did that stem from? I don't know. Um, from from kind of the way I'd put on myself in terms of what I wanted to make it, but more broadly than that, I think for the last couple of years, last year and a half, I probably properly experienced anxiety for the first time in my life. Like like what anxiety really is. Mm-hmm. Like that sometimes debilitating panic, which I'm, I wasn't familiar with. Um, so that was happening as well and it was kind of about like just trying to do too much and feeling the responsibility of having to deliver things for people and and make make all the pieces of your life keep going <laughs> but do you think that that when you say deliver those things is that because of the expectation and pressure you the standards you had set for yourself i think it's standards and promises that i'd made for things yeah. you know and then feeling like you've got to make them all happen um so so I, I felt like there was loads of peaks and troughs and then creatively there was loads of peaks and troughs because you just keep asking yourself if what you're doing if it's going to have like you want to write something that um, you feel is, is has a value to it or is any good um, and and is honest and authentic and real but you're constantly asking yourself is, is anybody going to listen to this when it's finished you know so it's just like this sort of peaks and troughs of like despair and then belief and then despair and then the other thing is I, I, I saw an interview with a a rapper called Evidence right. who used to be in Dilated Peoples yeah. um, and I, I think I, I'm a big fan of his and of Dilated Peoples and, but I'm almost even more a fan of just hearing him speak and he, what, what he was saying was he, he was saying like as a guy who's had a career for quite a length of time he's considered an underground artist in the States we would consider him a, a, a mainstream Huge, artist yeah. just because the difference in terms of what we call underground <laughs> um, but so he was saying like maintaining that output and that quality as you get older becomes more difficult because there are more thing, other things in life that require your attention. So like you would um, ideally lock yourself away for three or six months, like focus, make something and then put it out straight away. But in reality, life gets in the way and those three months become two years and trying to keep your focus over that just ends up with lots more kind of depths and then yeah. highs. <laughs> But the, I mean, making music obviously is such a deeply personal thing, and and you invest so much passion that I guess that when you put that out there for people to judge, that it's like a dagger to the heart. Um, when you maybe don't get the praise or the expectation that you want. Yeah, or even just if it doesn't connect with anybody, I yeah. think you know. Um, I think that was that's probably something that that I was considering like. Or just if it, yeah, just, I, I'm not so much concerned with whether it's 
crazed or anything like that, but it would be nice to release something and then have people go, yeah, cool, I've got that, or yeah, that made some sense to me. Yeah, no, totally, (laughs) yeah. Uh, Um, So... Uh, the the Tricky song that Tricky is one of my favourite artists. I guess just because of Bristol and mm. um, his uh, work with Portishead, and obviously Portishead on that track, and, mm. and um, Massive Attack, and you've got you know all these people. Um, when did you first hear that song, and when did you really kind of think, God, this guy's awesome? Mm. 95 I think yeah. is that when it came out Ma- well, Max and Clay I don't uh, know 94, 95, 94 yeah. thereabouts yeah. so it would have been round about then and I could have picked a whole bunch of songs from that time period um, I could have picked Glory Box with, with Portis Head tune that yeah. it comes from um, and that or anything from, from that Portis Head record probably um, but this particular song like I just think it's delivery is amazing it's um it's engaging and it's otherworldly. It sort of takes you into that world. I stand firm for a soil. Look where I come from. Religious, Jesus, Jesus. Dress me up in stitzy. Hands round the corner where I shout. Is something a schism? Living out the scout. If you believe or deceit, common sense says shit. Let me take you down the corridors of my life And when you want to, you want to your preference No need to answer till I take further evidence I seem to need a reference to get residence A reference to your preference to say I'm a good neighbor, I trust To judge you from my labor The bottom ensures my good behavior Ensures my insanity. Passing the evenings ensures the struggle for my family. We're hungry, beware of our appetite. Distant drums bringing news of a kill tonight. The kill which I share with my passengers. We take our fill, take our fill, take our fill. I stand firm for a soil. Liquor I come forth. Different memories, details of Asian remedies, this conversation of what should become of enemies. My brain thinks bomb like, so I listen. He's a calm kind. As I grow, and as I grow, I grow collective. Before the move, sit on the perspective. Mr. Quail in the crevice, and watches from the precipice. Imperial passage Heat from the sun Someday slowly passes Until then You have to live with yourself Until then You have to live with yourself I stand firm for a soil Liquor I come forth my brain 
brain thinks from like bomb like my brain thinks from like bomb like bomb like my brain thinks from like beware of our appetite It used to be on the jukebox in the staging post where I used to drink and, and airdrate. So it, it was, I would put the song on at a certain point in the night when I was steaming. And it felt like it really sort of soundtracked the state that you were in and the place that you were in at the time. And it's kind of just stuck with me ever since. I mean, your, your music collection that maybe you listen to now, do you listen to a lot of new music or do you still kind of dip a lot back into past? I, I, I think I, I, I think I move between the last five years and the 1990s an yeah. awful lot. <laughs> uh, I don't know how much I listen to like the early 2000s at the moment, but yeah. I, I try to force myself regularly to listen to new music. And so, you know, um, like streaming services are brilliant for that. So it's great to be able to delve into new stuff. And I listen to everything, so I listen to like a new music playlist of, of like, like, whatever is like mainstream popular at the moment, and try and I'll put, I'll flick through it. Some things will blow me away, and other things won't. And then I try to listen to as many, just pick as many different things you, as that are going to give you like podcasts and arranged others curated playlists, so yeah. that you're going to get things you'd never come across. Yeah. And but then when I look at my daily mix on Spotify three of the five options are probably all 1990s hip-hop. Yeah. <laughs> so, which is great if that's what you want to listen to, but you're not really going to ever find anything new in there, you know? And, and with regards to, to hip-hop now compared to the 90s mm. and even before that, where, are there any kind of new artists that you think, yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm really liking this, or do you just, it, is it just kind of passed you by this new breed of, of rappers? And it, it's funny you should say that. I like the ASAP guys. Yeah. I like ASAP Ferg and ASAP Rocky. Um, um, I like new music by underground hip hop artists. So the Rhymesayers label, like, I, f I follow quite religiously to see what's coming. Um, they're often older, established artists that are still releasing music in a sort of alternative area. Mm -hmm. So um, everyone from Brother Ali um, to like, uh, uh, to anything by Aesop Rock, to be honest. Um, and then, but I, there's a, an artist coming out next week called Prof, who I hadn't heard of before. And I've really been really into the first two singles he released from them. Uh, so, so there's still, I'm, I'm still like fiending for new hip hop, in terms of the sort of future Migos type, uh, type stuff. Um, most of it doesn't really hit for me. Yeah. But I, I don't feel bad about that. Like it's not for me necessarily. I'm, I'm not um, bemoaning the state of hip hop at the moment. I'm just aware that that's not a place I'm in. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and so ASAP Rock that you've mentioned a couple of times and, and one of the songs that you've picked, Kirby, um, the he's got a really identifiable style. His vocal, you can tell straight away who it is. Yeah. Um, what was it that you connected with? Do, do you know what? For a long time with ASAP Rock, I didn't connect with him at all. Oh, wow. Like in the, night, in the like late 90s and early noughties, he, he, I just never quite got into him, like, because he's so wordy and, and lyrically dense. Um, I, it just didn't move me sometimes. I could see the technicalities of it, but it didn't hit for me. Um, and his last two records have, have really changed that for me. Um, I, I thought on, on his second last record, there was a song called Ruby 81, which was just an amazing piece of storytelling. Um, it's, it, it had it was one of those ones that's only about two minutes long and it had me, I was listening in the car and by the end I was like on the edge of my seat and, and almost wanted to turn it off because I didn't even want to know what happened at the end of this story and then had to listen. Um, it's a story about a little girl, um, like a th th two or three year old kid at a 4th of July fireworks and then her mum puts her in the booster seat and she gets back out again and you're like just, you know, totally holding your breath to hear what happens and it's, so it's amazing writing. And then his last record, The Impossible Kid, I just think is like a, a, a masterclass in how to get older and keep writing and yeah. still be relevant. And okay, your topics change, your style changes. And so it's just a whole bunch of stories that it proves like what um, a skilled writer he is to, be, to make you interested and take you into his world when the world maybe isn't quite as wild or out of control as it is as somebody in their early 20s. Taking 
prescriptions now it shrink like I don't know maybe get a kitten Applying that to your own um, kind of storytelling, you um, are saying this to you that you're, you've got this way of writing that you don't literally um, kind of put something out, you don't literally call something out, but you'll use metaphors and imagery to, um, to do your own storytelling, but you, it's very much for the listener to adapt it to their own experiences. And, and I said to you that for me, that's the kind of truest form for lyricism and music for me. Um, the, some of the stuff that you do write about, you've talked about contradictions, for example, what are, I'm going to put you on the spot, what are some of the contradictions that you've seen either in people or society that you just think, wow? Right, okay. Um, well, I, I mean, I think contradictions are like part of human nature, right? And, and I think like that's almost seems to get forgotten in the virtual world now, like that I, I used to think it was like, bad enough for politicians because they're not allowed to be wrong and they're not allowed to change their mind and they're not allowed to contradict themselves but now we kind of seem to hold everybody up to that standard all the time yeah and like if you don't contradict yourself then there's no growth and if, and it's okay to change your mind and it's okay to actually feel this way and this way even if they don't there's no way those two things should exist together yeah D does that make sense yeah so, um i guess that i guess for me people pe it's like people are not allowed to make mistakes anymore yeah um but yeah. because i think maybe in the past a lot of those mistakes were only really shared amongst a small group in the real world whereas now those mistakes are like written down and appear forever for all to see mm -hmm. so so when you're figuring things out or just literally changing your mind about something then that that there's a trail that <laughs> follows that yeah so like the, the i mean the, the all these people or me think sort of came about a bit because of that like that idea that we're put in boxes or categories and you're like this so you can't be like that or you've done these things which precludes you from ever being able to do these things and and it's human nature to categorize and put people in boxes because it's how we make sense of the world but at the same time it becomes limiting and reductionist as a result and mm -hmm. and it limits your options and everybody has experience of that, you know, from the f from first day in the playground and the tribes that emerge or the tribes that you're put in without even really having a choice about it, um, and you know, so so it's human, it's it's part of life to be contrary. We're all complex, contradictory human things, and and then I guess hip hop as a culture, I think, and as a global genre, has suffered from that categorization because it's commercial success and commodification has actually reduced what it can be down to this sort of very often this gangster rap or the gangster pimp whole trinity of like that's yeah. that's all it can be yeah which means that this beautiful culture that was meant to be about expressing like 
minorities or alternative voices or different backgrounds then only has one way of representing itself, which is the antithesis of what it was meant to be, I think, or, or one of the things I see it to be. And then at the same time, I love gangster rap and I love braggadocious rap and, and, and punchline rap and I love like dense linguistics like Feral Monch or Aesop Rock uh, and I love metaphors and street stories and all these things so I was like well how can you put all of that into a record and have and, and have there be any continuity to it mm-hmm. so then it, like in my head it felt like the continuity came from the contradictions yeah and is there are there any notable times that you've contradicted yourself well <laughs> in life yeah oh, or in your music I yeah guess. I mean I'm sure there are quite con- pro- probably continually yeah um yeah I don't I mean I don't know but I but yes I'm sure there are and I, I definitely do on the record I'm sure because I'm at one moment probably criticizing like straight up like punchlines and bars and then in the next verse doing exactly doing the same it, thing yeah. and I think I, I, I walk that fine line all the time where I use punchlines and metaphors to like expre- in a hip hop format to express that sort of like braggadocious dominance so I'm actually doing the thing I'm criticising as I do it you know? <laughs> so uh, Scottish hip hop you're, you're, you've been called an ambassador and <laughs> all this and um, I, I know that you don't I've you know, I've read again that you you don't like to be that authority. It's more about learning all the time and uh, learning from others and being part of something. Um, the Scottish hip hop seems to have been stereotyped at times as being more of a humorous thing, and um, you know, it's it's about piss taking mm. and all that kind of stuff. And at times, it's not been taken as seriously, um, and it's it's been very white as well. Um, as as a, a white male it, within that you know that yep. genre is at times do you do you do you find it quite difficult or do you have you ever experienced any kind of criticism for that? Um, I mean, I definitely, I've been criticised and and dismissed. Um, I you know as as doing anything valid in terms of creativity in the past. I think. Um, less so now than it used to be. It, it absolutely has suffered in the past for being considered to be a novelty mm-hmm. rather than a valid uh, art form. Um, I don't, I find l- almost certainly less and less that that is ever considered to be the case within the wider music community in Scotland. So it's more often a case about breaking down people's preconceptions about what it is. Um, than than about people actually genuinely believing it doesn't have any worth, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And hip hop itself has always lent itself to voices from the margins and voices, unheard voices and um, alternative perspectives, um, which is why I think it, you find it taking root regularly in working class communities. You're absolutely right that it, when you look at it. Um, demographically, it's um, it's definitely like a very sort of mainly within Scotland, like a white yeah. culture. That's probably also representative of Scotland's wider demographics. Yeah, and I hope that as those as those demographics change, then we would see that in 
the, in the music as well. Do you, do you think that there's a further kind of point to prove because you're Scottish? Um, I mean, the some of the comments that I've not heard about you, but of, of Scottish hip hop in general, is is people taking the piss out of the accent and um, that being an, a, a form yeah, as well. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think in Scotland we've got such a strange and really complicated relationship with our own culture. Mm-hmm. So obviously the Scottish cringe, which was much stronger in the past than it is now. But it still exists, and we still have a problem with how we sound and how we present. Um, and and we also have this naturally self-derogatory sense of humour culturally, where we can't say anything good about ourselves, and if anybody <laughs> else seems to, then we have to put them down. So we've got this really complicated feeling of like of of self, sometimes self-imposed underdog status, you know. And so so there's so many like like different threads interwoven into that and lots of it's to do longer ago I'm, I'm sure with Scotland's relationship with the rest of the United Kingdom um, which is, is again a, a sort of dichotomy in itself because we're, as part, and in some ways you could say we've had the way that we speak or the way that we live our lives imposed upon us um, but in other ways, since 1707, Scotland's been part of the UK, so has also been complicit in all sorts of horrific things around the globe. So it's it's never a, it's not a very simple way to say poor us or this caused this because of this. Yeah. But th- there's all these complicated things, and the, and then accent in, in Scottish music has just like gradually become um, more prominent, hasn't it? You know, so like for me that began, although. The Proclaimers were doing it in the late 1980s and I now have such a respect for the Proclaimers as, as songwriters and for, as for what they did. Mm-hmm. At the time I didn't, like it, it wasn't for me. So it was more when Bell and Sebastian and Arab Strap and, and bands like that started doing it um, in the sort of Glasgow indie scene that the Scottish accent started to come into music for me. And then you fast forward, you know, you've got like, well, Biffy Clyro and Twin Atlantic and, yeah. and uh, Fighting Rabbit and artists that are global yeah. singing in Scottish accents. So there's been that slow process. And I mean, I could go on about accent for days because it's it's also very difficult for us. It's easier for a rapper than a singer to go into a Scottish accent, actually, because we're so used to that mid-Atlantic voice, which is sung at the back, back here in your palate but all our words in Scottish palate are at the front right. of your mouth, so you end up with that Paolo thing where it doesn't sound like it's really from anywhere because he's <laughs> trying to voice a Scottish accent but sing from the back of his throat. So, yeah, it's, the accent is fascinating and, and really interesting. Yeah. It's actually a lot simpler for rappers than anyone else, I think, because basically there's no way to even consider being authentic without using your own accent. Mm-hmm. So, Eminem... <laughs> I always thought that I would never get Eminem to. Pl- I would never play Eminem on a podcast, and now I can understand that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let's. Uh... I, I kind of. I could have. Do you know what? This was the one I almost didn't put on because I think there's other tunes I could put. I think it's a very obvious white guys hip hop tune to put on.
violence? Yeah, wanna yeah, see yeah. me stick nine inch nails to each one of my eyelids? Uh-huh. Wanna copy me and do exactly like I did? Yeah, Try yeah. sit and get fucked up worse than my life is? Uh-huh. My brain's dead weight. I'm trying to get my head straight, but I can't figure out which spice girl I wanna impregnate. Uh-huh. And Dr. Dre said, Slim Shady, you a basic. Uh-uh. So why's your face red? Man, you wasted. Well, since age 12, I felt like I'm someone else. Cause I hung my original self from the top bump with a belt. Got pissed off and ripped Pamela Lee's tits off And smacked her so hard I knocked her clothes back with like Chris Paul I smoked a fat pound of grass And fall on my ass faster than a fat bitch Who sat down too fast Come here, slut Shady, wait a minute That's my girl, dawg I don't give a fuck God sent me to piss the world off Hi, my name is Wanted to flunk me in junior high Thanks a lot Next semester I'll be 35 I smacked him in his face with an eraser Chased him with a stapler Stapled his nuts to a stack of paper Walked in a strip club Had my jacket zipped up Blast a bartender And stuck my dick in a tip cup Extraterrestrial Running over pedestrians In a spaceship While they screaming at me Let's be 99% of my life I was lied to I just found out my mom does more dope than I do I told her I'd grow up to be a famous rapper Make a record about doing drugs and name it after You know you blew up when the women rush your stands Try to touch your hands like some screaming usher fans This guy White Castle asked for my autograph So I signed it, dear Dave, thanks for the support, asshole I think there's loads of more interesting things I could put on 
1999, if we're talking about like having an impact, then this the first Eminem, the first major Eminem record, had such an impact, um, and it had a huge impact on me in terms of going from being a rap fan to being someone that thought maybe I could rap. Eminem is quite a controversial figure. I mean, he he now has obviously... Um, I, I know the impact that this record, the Will My Name Is, had because mm. that album, obviously, the Dido collaboration, yeah. you, you had it, it was on constant rotation and you couldn't get away from it. Um, the... Um, the album, I was uh, remembering that every second or third person that I seemed to speak to had bought it mm. just because it just seemed to make, I don't know, it seemed to kind of break barriers and, and so on, whatever you want to call it. Um, <laughs> I was, uh, luckily, that was my DJ Shadow and Mr. Scruff phase, so yeah. I was quite yeah. happy at that point. Which are great records, yeah. yeah. Um, he has got... Like the controversy thing. Um, now again, the, the, this he's a major contradiction for me. Yep. He's so he's at the moment. Obviously, Donald Trump seems to be his main focus of of shooting down. But his lyrics. I mean, I there was a an article put out, and there was nineteen. Um, uh, occasions or 19 parts of songs where he'd talked about um, you know he'd used homophobic mm. a, a, you know content yep. or rape culture or you know I mean one of the questions that I wanted to ask you was um, and I, I've asked this to quite a few people artists that have, have gone through and they've maybe done something or they've said something that's really either controversial or um, something that is deemed as, as pretty bad on mm. the grand scheme, separating their music from them as a person and, and what they do, where do you stand on that? I think, I think first of all, probably everyone has to draw their own line for that, don't you? Yeah. Like, you like with any other ethical decision you make in your life it's got to be on an individual basis um, there's there's absolutely loads of things that he's written that are problematic um, there's also a situation I'm finding myself in that all sorts of things I listened to when I was in my early 20s I now don't want to listen to and have no interest in and actually don't, like feel a bit uncomfortable listening to so I guess part of that, that's about, like, I wonder how much of that is about just growing up mm -hmm. and how much of it is also about how much culture has changed. Yeah. It's probably a combination of the, the two. two yeah. um, so I can, re can recognise all those things. And as a result, there's, probably, there's definitely songs that I wouldn't even have selected. But if, in terms of why I picked my name is, like, the impact that that had... And the blueprint that it was in terms of um, style and content and delivery, the punchline rap element of it, um, just just how fully formed he was as a character from his very first single. Mm -hmm. And it was, and I mean, to look at it just analytically and like you say, remove yourself from looking at it as a, a human being and look at it as the artistic output, um, he, no white rapper had managed to um, achieve 
that level of authenticity in what had managed to remain and be preserved as an as a African-American culture. And there was reasons for that because of look at what happened to the jazz and to jazz and the blues and to previous cultures that had been developed, if not purely by African-American um, input, certainly predominantly or having a huge amount of that, that was then taken up by white artists that took it around the globe, made a huge amount of money out of it, appropriated it and didn't show any respect for where it came from. Mm -hmm. So there were whole reasons why hip hop was protected in that way and nurtured. Um, and M what Eminem was able to do was position himself as not only outside the underdog in um, as, a, as a white person trying to be accepted into black society, but also as an outcast that was unaccepted in white culture too. So as a creation, it's And is that something you um, identify with then? I, I mean, I think everybody growing up I, I, in, in their youth identifies with outsiderdom and feeling put upon or, you know, un misunderstood and all these sorts of things. Um, so that combined, uh, from a personal perspective, I identified with the creation yeah. and, uh, and, uh, and it was energetic and humorous and great fun, the wordplay, and I could geek out on the lyrical construction and all these sorts of things. Um, but I think to take a step back and look at it and, and, and look at it in terms of how he constructed that identity, it's really interesting that the identity was constructed in that way and then managed to negotiate those places and, and, and put them in places that nobody really managed to go before. Mm -hmm. So, that, I mean, yeah, but I say all this completely agreeing with you and understanding that, that yeah. it's, not, it's not as simple as that. Um, I, I also haven't listened to Eminem for, for about 10 years. I mean, like, and that's not... That's not an ethical or a moral decision. I've just not been moved or interested in anything he's done yeah. for a long time. Yeah, and it, but that that can apply to I don't know how many yeah, artists. Yeah, exactly. Isn't it? Yeah. So, so it's um, just um, yeah. I think it's a shame because I I think some with that amount of skill and talent, I haven't seen him grow. I haven't seen him mature into something else. I feel like creatively stuck being what he was. And in comparison to artists like. Um, ASAP Rock. Aesop Rock. It's, do yeah. you find that he's really kind of managed to do managed that? Managed to do that. And Jay-Z, if you were to look at somebody who, on a similar level who's like such, like a huge commercial success, with 444, Jay-Z managed to release an album that transformed hip-hop because it allowed it, him to grow older, which is a taboo in hip-hop. It allowed him to be penitent and to admit his flaws. And, and all these sorts of things. So Jay-Z proved that you can be that big an artist, you can have that big a back catalogue and that much baggage and still evolve. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't see that with Eminem's work. It's fascinating. Um, so the, but Buck 65, um, the DJ Signify remix, this is my first introduction. Yeah. Um, and automatically I liked it because it, taps into what I've mentioned previously, like DJ Shadow mm -hmm. and, and um, so on. So tell me about this one. Um, right, I, I first heard this in, I think, about 2004. Um, the, the, I was in a band called Disciples of Panic Earth and the DJ worked in a record shop and they'd been sent a free copy of this DJ Signify record. And I didn't really know Buck 65 before then either. Um, the whole record is sort of sort of dream slash nightmare like um, and the lyrics have that thing where they're telling a story but they're also 
open enough that they allow you to kind of inject yourself into the story or fill in the blanks a bit.
this is the hidden track at the end, which was actually on another sort of album of his. It, for me, it was one of the first times. It was a bit revelationary because it's not it's it's not urban at all. It's somebody telling stories about being from a really rural background and in the middle of nowhere, and it feels just as vital and exciting and urgent as Nas telling us in New York State State of Mind about Queensbridge, New York. Mm -hmm. So, but the imagery felt more like like what I could um, identify with growing up. So I guess I, I could relate to that. And I think the storytelling is really clever. So it's a, it's a beautiful song, it's a really sad song. Um, he says it's a true song as well. And it's also written very cleverly because it feels uh, very simple, but if you actually start to look at the lyric construction, there's a whole load of complex multi-syllabics that are in no way burden or weigh down the delivery of the lyrics. Mm -hmm. And, and I also think one thing about, for me about hip hop is that because just it's got so much higher word count, just purely practically because you can fit many more yeah. words in, then sometimes, it, um, you know what you were saying about how songs, the, like sometimes your favourite songs are the ones where you can identify with them. So very often that's because the lyrics are just vague enough that you can yeah. make them apply to you. But sometimes in hip hop that's really hard because it's got such a bigger word count, it's so much more descriptive and specific that very quickly it becomes clear what it's about. So for me, like really good writing like this has to like paint the scenery and draw the characters and make the characters move and then it ha all by the, before the first chorus and it has to hope that by that point you're so invested in the story like a film that you want to know what happens next. Yeah. And I think he does that there so he draws the scenery and he draws the background, then he introduces the characters, and then by the first chorus, you're like, you're invested. Yeah. But I think that you've got a very similar style in that there's, you're hooked and you're just, um, you're kind of following everything you're saying and you find yourself going, oh my God, that's just so clever, the way that he's used those, you know, just the way that you word things. And, and I think compared, I'm gonna blow your smoke up your ass now. Um, <laughs> I think compared to so many other people that have done um, hip hop in Scotland, and I think compared to a lot of people that are on a, you know, your peers, um, I, I, I do think you stand out in that respect. Your intelligence and your, your kind of social commentary, it screams. I, I, th I think writing is, is just about trying to find your own way of saying things in your own voice. You know? mm -hmm. um, I'm I'm blown away by the work of like the folks I would consider my peers in in rap, um, but I think everyone that does it that really well has spent a long time trying to find their own way of doing it, mm -hmm. and, and their own way of like how they imagine a story needs to be told, and then getting your and like because like for me I said I do geek out on lyric construction and wordplay and all these sorts of things and it's just trying to walk, walk that fine line between how much do you want it to be about wordplay or how much do you want it to have any content or yeah. you know and just try to get the balance right I don't I don't really want to go into the political side of stuff because I, you, you're probably t exhausted talking about um, Scottish independence <laughs> and I, you know I think we're both very much of the same opinion yeah. about what we want to happen um, if it ever does happen. Mm. Um, the 
Has there ever been a time when you have either been recording or you've been performing and there's something that you've written that has meant something or, you know, you've just written from a personal perspective and it's kind of not been till that moment you've performed it or been in a certain situation and it's become quite overwhelming and it's kind of caught you? Yes, um, quite quite a few songs probably uh, over the last couple of Stanley Odd records. I would put them in two different categories. I'd put them in the political songs or the personal songs categories. Um, but you're right. I mean, I think the whole of Scotland is suffering political fatigue just now. Mm-hmm. Like the number of things that we've been asked to make big decisions about and fully engage with over the last like four or five years has had a total like numbing effect. An exhausting effect. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think you're totally right about the politics thing. Um, in terms of like people's responses to stuff, I think um, ma- a song called Marriage Counselling on Reject, which we n- never play live because n- we never sorted the music out for it. And I, I found that people started asking for it. So we ended up doing it a cappella sometimes in 2014 and just I didn't really realise like how much of an impact it was having on people. Um, just the reaction sort of thing was kind of was was quite um, quite intense. Um, and what about you though? Has has it ever made you kind of either falter or um, you've you've had to take a moment just to go right? Okay, maybe this is a bit too emotional. Or I I, f- I found that at times with two tunes, one called "Carry Me Home" and. Uh, one called Draw Your Own Conclusions from um, I think Brand New because they were more personal songs yeah um, Carry Me Home is massively um, yeah, deep isn't it it, really? it, it is I and it's dead it's, 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 it's dead honest and autobiographical um, and I wrote it when I was in a total bit of a crisis on, in terms of what I was how I was behaving and what I was doing and just didn't feel really in control of myself very much Um so it was cathartic to write, um, and and that felt like, I, you know, I remember the month, the couple of months, and I felt like I like getting the words written down, and getting the song written felt like a sort of quite a big emotional process, you mm-hmm. know. And then actually playing it the year after, we played it quite a lot. It always felt like I mean, I kind of joked about it, but it did feel like a big sort of group therapy session, like actually <laughs> playing it live and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and yeah, it was it was, but it it was a good feeling mm-hmm. to actually just say it and get it all out loud. Yeah. <laughs> so so that was quite cool. And then sometimes that happens a bit with draw your own conclusions because it's just quite an emotional story. So it kind of uh, you can kind of get caught up in that a bit. And on the um, new album, what um, what's is there is there a song that really kind of maybe encapsulates the whole experience of making that album? Um, it's, it's, fu- it's funny, I think partly I, I'm, I'm interested to see what the songs sound like live at the moment yeah. to see because no one's heard them and also I want, I'm waiting to f- feel what people react to them. I think the first and last tunes summarise the content of the record and the last one probably even more than any, anything else so 
Reconstruction, the, the first idea with reconstruction was about that idea about identity and how you sort of piece yourself together before you present it to anybody every day. Um, and how that identity, so the first verse is literally piecing your body together, but it's like a, about how you do that. And then the second verse, you step outside, so it's about how your external factors contribute to that. Um, and then the last song, Deconstruction, sort of take, like criticises and takes apart the record itself. So it's like, it, the first two of the three verses on the last song are sort of put, like questioning what, like, the truth of the record itself. But in its truest form, it, it's it's a body of work and it, it works from start to finish. There's a narrative throughout. I hear so many records that are so kind of disconnected and you it's there's there's too many tangents. And whilst it's great to have, you know, no song is it's it's not repetitive throughout, there has to be some kind of variation there mm. um, but at the same time it works cohesively you, you want you definitely want to th- I mean that's brilliant to hear like because that's you do want to have it threaded t- together mm-hmm. um, and well that's what I was hoping to do um, the the titles of the songs even are what we're meant to do that so from reconstruction to deconstruction and reconstruction where the sun rises so it starts like the start of a day, a deconstruction where the sun sets, yeah. but it was also reconstruction was written in Edinburgh in the east where the sun rises and deconstruction was written once we've moved here in the west. So the whole thing, for, there's loads of things that probably don't mean anything to anyone else, you know, but to me felt like they tied it all together. Um, and uh, and trying to like just make sure that it felt like that there was a story all the way through it. And I think like the, the last verse of the last song, the form changes completely as well and it almost becomes like a... I felt like I was writing that almost like my audience was my own kids or something like that, or my audience was changing for that last song. Mm-hmm. The, the, whole, the message, if there was any at all, was kind of like, it's okay to contradict yourself yeah. and not be sure who you are. Um, you, so, Loki, um, you picked um, one of his, so Moonlight Flitting, mm-hmm. um, and you put this down as an honourable mention. Honourable mention, um, Loki. Yeah, I put it down because I'd already exceeded my six track. Right. List. Well, let's talk about Loki. Yeah. So um, he's, I mean, he's really become quite um, a recognised, you know, person mm-hmm. for. Um, I mean, obviously for his uh, work before, but more so now for his writing mm-hmm. um, and his commentary and, and so on. Summer of 84 hot me like a kicking fetus going cold turkey in the womb of an alcoholic dependent teenage mother with no money, so trust me, the 80s were the fuck time to grow up mate. From the nervousness and the kitchen breathless Lyric with a death wish Cigarette for breakfast Grabbing the pen Tense rigid with a clenched fist Inching ever closer as I'm scribbling a reminisce Cold ambience, grey a roaring ambulance Stray kids on smack overdosing like the fathers did We juxtapose the type of West End affluence To build the roads to setting stone Maggie Thatcher's arrogance I remember, militants were stirring Junkies were as rife as Tory government corruption Well below the breadline the schemes grew weaker While the children developed a taste for wine by observing their seniors While she sent the working class soldiers to die in Argentina Masquerading as a world leader 
were left to our devices on the streets Being rallied by the calls of the activists and public speakers Back when Tommy shared it personified hope in the tenements The socialist message was spreading yet the Tories let the local areas get levelled While Fashop and the Falkland War medals on the veterans Sheriff's officers attempted to enter a person's residence to reclaim the last of their possessions Even though nobody paid tax cause they were penniless Militants bomb chains protecting what was left of us We stood firm, pull tax, protest Sheriff's officers sent packing home with broken legs What the hell did they expect? Was their perception that the residents would greet them with a welcoming reception? It's a housing scheme If you don't know the place, that's where they knock down the skills to build motorways Statistically, little Jimmy's chances of living till he's 60 are currently 50-50 and he's 15 Alcoholics, drug addiction, literally The economic hangover of the collapse of industry So the West End can go to hell with Haddles It's the perfect example of what went wrong with Glasgow This is not a sob story Poor me, what I've written's a depiction of how the poverty's stricken a living I can't live with the injustice, it's spiritually sickening Something needs to be done, this minute in it Sit there, observe, contemplate about yourself, your good health and all the things that you think you deserve. I'm livid, true grind, vivid. When your new life begins after a moonlight flitting. By now, Thatcher had ruined the lives of Britain. MPs were as useful as doing right by the system. And school was nice for the distance, but could decide your religion. Maggie sacrificed the United Kingdom for Middle England. It was a cool June 1989, full moon, damn roof dripping. Mum was in a good mood, assumed she might have been drinking. My dad was doing in a minute, so she would go and plank a bottle of wine in the kitchen, which was the right decision, hidden with precision. And told me not to tell him about the guy that came visiting. Call his vinyl in her television That's when I heard a faint cry in the distance She never even noticed but it gave me the jitters Look outside, pure light, no vision As the rain lashed on the cracked windows in the cold kitchen I caught a glimpse of a shadowy figure dashing in the distance I see the truth on my ninja figures I seen someone lying lifeless Near the entrance of a homely semi-detached prison Suddenly it moved and look up at the living room in which the three of us were sitting it was him, my father, half dead on the garden path, being within an inch of existence. In the clutch, she should have paid the price, but she had sold everything except my shoes, or wine, and my sister. The poor life sickening, true grind, vivid, and your new life begins after a moonlight flitting. A crook might have killed him over a few lines for sniffing. It's a cruel life for living. Ten years later, I decide to leave quietly, seek sobriety, and leer in a civil society. Pleaded insanity to make the one inherit this planet's travesty. I grabbed my backpack and ran away. Rather a dead drunk mom than an innate bum chum. See how far your luck runs when he sees your father's trust fund. No wonder half the old school don't like me. I was like hippies trying to babysit a child in the 90s. My tragic mother, my father would never lift a hand to her. And I know that man loved her. But it was us or the drugs, one or the other. And that junkie scummed on my dad turned out to be my man's half brother. Who's looking to you? Um, well, I mean, I've been familiar with his work for a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've always been impressed with him as a writer. I think he manages to embody the thing in, in hip-hop in terms of authenticity about representing global values and 
local culture idiosyncratically. So, like, if it's a global, the global values might be um, the techniques, the style, the delivery, um, and then the the local element would be representing like Scottish culture or elements of Scottish culture or his own background, and then the idiosyncratic would be managing to do that in an in individual and original way. So, I feel like like. He, he, he always manages to marry those things really well um, and then Moonlight Flit in that particular song I just think Scatterbrain's production is, is brilliant and again it's one of those ones that where the words and the music just mesh perfectly um, I think it's a really good piece of writing because it describes a place and a time in the 1980s and, and 90s in West Coast Scotland, um, and then it moves from a sort of social commentary aspect to a personal storytelling aspect. Mm -hmm. So it just like strikes me as a as a really good example of like a blueprint of of a good hip hop tune. Um, your album "All These People Are Me" is out fourth of May. Yes. Is this the period that you crap yourself? <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> I've, it's been it's been a while since I've done anything like to promote stuff or anything like that so is yeah. it is it nice to be back it's, it's nice to be talking about it yeah, yeah it's nice to, it is nice to be talking about it um and it's uh yeah it's i'm nervous because i just want to get the record out yeah this for every musician i've spoken to before their album coming out this is the hardest period for them um so um yeah i it's not something that i can relate to but i i see it and constantly and I have a, a great amount of respect you've got live dates coming up as well yeah um we've, we've got not a huge number but um a, a small tour um we're doing stag and dagger which will be great yeah um did that a couple of years ago with Stanley Hodden it was brilliant so yeah. I'm looking forward to that one it's me and Harvey Cartel live so it's going to be like live beats and samples and loops and wow. me um and uh yeah then we're doing we're doing the toll booth and the, the sort of lunch party, if you like, is at the Mash House in Edinburgh. And we're doing a couple of dates in Bristol and Manchester with Ari the Rugged Man as well. So, yeah, it's it's good. I think we might sneak a Noiriki thing in somewhere yeah. as well. Well, I want to wish you the best of luck and I want thank to you. say thank you for um, coming to speak to me. No, and pleasure as it's always. a stunning record and... Um, I think it's going to, uh, I think it will connect with people. I'm a beautiful butterfly. In the shard of broken glass She caught my breath and stole my heart I hope it lasts 
I've been that question that you shouldn't have asked And the dead leg with one foot in the past Come on Personalities, half of which won't even talk to me. My delusions are grandeur floating in my head across the puzzle, answers that nobody can complete. Once I was a pessimist, they hear the rubber bullets, they want trouble brewing, and I'm about to do something stupid, making me a long weekend in the cells with no charge. Or a moss cup, I'm stone in the boneyard. I've been that common sense, it seems like it's loose. I bought brick flying through that window of opportunity. The hammer to break glass in case of emergency. So I'm beautiful, created in the face of adversity. I like counting things in vibes, cause I've got OCD. Shimmy, shimmy, yeah, I like it raw, piece to ODB. I'm an excuse for one more medicinal drink. And the answer to all your problems written in invisible ink. Uh. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>